If you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 9. This has been uh, our scripture uh, for our series. Uh, this series uh, we named This Is For You. This is, this is our heart as we've been praying and planning and preparing uh, for what God's doing right now is that we're praying that the Christmas message would not just be a Christmas message, but that you would be able to internalize and personalize this Christmas, what Jesus has done for us. That, that, that this thing that God has done through Jesus is for, for you. I know some of you, maybe you've been serving God for a really long time. I want you to just to personalize it. Because there's something powerful about realizing that it's not just for so-and-so or for so-and-so, but it's, it's for me. It still has value for me today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, or verse 6 says, For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, these are the names, that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, you'll probably find him in Isaiah. Uh, some theologians call Isaiah, we talked about this, the Christmas prophet. Because most of the prophecies of Isaiah that point to the Messiah, Jesus, you hear around Christmas time. Isaiah prophesied multiple times about the coming Messiah, about that Jesus would come, that he'd be born of a virgin, that he would die. The Bible teaches us in Isaiah, through Isaiah's prophecies, that, that he would, would die for the sins of his people, that his body would be beaten for our healing. So Isaiah prophesies all of these things over 700 years before it actually happens. So when we read this scripture, this is not happening real time. This is crazy prophet Isaiah saying that one of these days this will happen and a son will be born, a child will be given. And this passage of scripture, is, 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 it's really, it's very pivotal for our theology as believers because it speaks of a, a really theological term called the incarnation. The incarnation, it's, it's, it's a big word that basically means God in man. That the two, that be, that the two became one. God becoming man, God taking on flesh. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see this. It says, unto us a child is born. This is a human function. A child is born. People have kids all the time. This is the humanity. But it says, unto us a son is given. Now that son, that represents capital S son, the son of God, Jesus, is given. That is supernatural or divine. So the incarnation is the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus wrapped into one. I, 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 love, I love Christmas time because most of the messages and the stories really are around the gospel. And the gospel obviously is central to our faith, but it's so simple that sometimes we skip over the weight, the value, or even the gravity of it. I, I don't know if around the holidays you get your family together, you start playing games, any, any board game players uh, out there. But board games can be really, uh, really challenging for the family dynamics. If you've got some rule followers, you know, and then you've got some ones, some of those that kind of like love the color gray. And um, I've got a group of friends, we've been friends since we were in high school, and, and uh, inevitably when we get together, there is a game of risk that's going to happen, all right? 
I don't know why we keep on playing because the game always ends the same way. Not in a winner and a loser, in a fight. <laughs> Thankfully, we're still friends, at least most of us. Some of us didn't make it. But we, we get together, and we, we haven't seen each other for years. We'll get together, and then someone's going to say, well, hey, how about, are we going to play Risk? And we pull it out, and like, we know how this ends. Let's be nice. You know, and, and it happens. It happens year after year after year. And just a couple years ago, we were all together, and we finally said, hey, we're going to play. We're going to play. But everybody, like, let's just, let's just enjoy it, right? Let's just be nice. Let's just have world domination in a peaceful way. Right, that's the game. And uh, inevitably, as the game progresses, a couple of my buddies made a secret alliance, right? They didn't tell anybody about, and it got heated, and, and, and there was, you know, there was uh, threats being made across the table. It ended, okay, this is years ago, okay, this is not me. I was there peacefully praying for them. Two of my friends literally stood up to fight, right, over the wrist table, said, this, this is what my friend said to me. He goes, this just got personal, right? This, this isn't about risk anymore. This just got personal. I'm like, again? We've been doing this since we were 17. It's personal again? But let me tell you this. I was praying this week, and when we're talking about the message of Christmas and the anthem that you see described or pronounced by the prophet Isaiah, this is what God is saying. This just got personal. I, I like to think of Isaiah chapter 9 because if you read in verse 7, it says, The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. Another translation says, The zeal of the Lord will make this happen. Okay, so when you think of Christmas and carols and nativity scenes, right? Is anybody ever like trying to find the third wise man on the nativity scene? It's like he is like the prodigal wise man. At least in our nativity scene, he's like he's always gone. And so when, when you're putting together a nativity scene, it's more than just that. Now, I don't think it's just like cute baby Jesus was born. I think it's like God rolled up his sleeves and he said, this just got personal. Isaiah prophesied it 700 years ago, but now it's time. It's time that Jesus is about to be born into this world. Not so we can have a cute baby, baby pictures. The wise man can get a picture with the baby. It's because God was declaring war on the works of the enemy. God was getting serious. I'm just going to tell you, this Christmas is not just about God saying, hey, here's a cute baby to look at. Christmas is about God saying, all right, this just got personal. This just got personal. When he gives Jesus to us, I want the weight of what happened and what he did to just settle in to our hearts. And I was praying this week, and I was asking the Holy Spirit, will you, will you help the, the magnificence, the wonder, the amazement of what you did settle into our hearts today? And I was thinking about the, the, incar, the incarnation, fancy word, right, that, that this God became man. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus existed from the beginning of creation. In fact, when God was creating the heavens and the earth, he spoke a Word. Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, that Word took on flesh. All right, so when Jesus was born, he took on flesh. Flesh, he has existed for all time, but now the humanity and the divinity now exist in this human body. Now, this is another theological term, okay? It sounds really intense. Put your thinking cap on for a minute. It sounds really intense, but it's actually a very simple meaning. It's the hypostatic 
union. All right, just tell somebody about that one. Like, do you believe in the hypostatic union? It'll get them every time. It is two natures that exist in one person. It is the divinity, the godly nature, and is the human, the humanity nature that coexists in Jesus, who was our Messiah. Now, if Jesus had not been born, he could not have been the Messiah. If Jesus just showed up as an adult, which God could have done, he wouldn't have fulfilled the prophecies that he would be born, right? Until such a child is born. So everything about Jesus' life was in fulfillment to prophecies that had been prophesied over 700 years ago that a Savior would be born who would be named Jesus, who would be born in Bethlehem, would be from Nazareth. I mean, all of these things had been prophesied hundreds of years before. The, the hypostatic union is that he would be both fully God and fully man. He was fully God in that he was the word that took on flesh. But Philippians teaches us that he laid aside his divinity, his godly privileges, his power, his authority. Because we know as God on the cross, even even people were taunting him when, when he was on the cross. If you're the son of God, save yourself. If he would have used his own power to save himself, he would have, he, he would have negated the ability to be the sacrifice for our sins. So he laid his divinity aside so that in his humanity, he could feel what you feel. He could walk where you walk. He could die with the weight of our sin, of our mistakes on his shoulders so that he could save us all. Christmas has more power than just the cute things that we do. It's, it's God getting serious with the freedom of his people and saying, I'm about to give you Jesus. And they give us in Isaiah chapter 9 the names of Jesus. Right? These are not just nick- nicknames. Right? These are not just like other names that you can call him. His names were a description of his character. This, these would be like, this describes who he, this is not who, what we call him, this is the function of what he does. So it said in Isaiah 90, in chapter 9, verse 6, it says that he was, this is the first name they called him, Wonderful Counselor. Now, if you really want to get into this deep, wonderful is actually a divine term. In the Hebrew, it, it represents divinity. It's not like wonderful, like we would say, wow, this day is it's a wonderful day. It, it, it's something that we would marvel at. It's something supernatural. And counselor actually has connotations of humanity. So we all have counsel. We give each other counsel. But together, it's supernatural counsel. It's divinity and humanity wrapped, is this too much for you? Wrapped into one. You got to have a little theology behind your Christmas greeting, all right? This is the beauty of the babe Jesus being born is that he was fully God and fully man. And the Bible says he will be a wonderful counselor. He will have counsel or wisdom that we do not have. In, in every life situation where you don't know what to do, the Bible declares that Jesus is the answer that you need. To every life problem, to every world problem, the answer is the wonderful counselor. The one that has all wisdom, all ability. The second name is mighty God. Mighty God. 
You know, when you're talking about the names that, 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 that are lined out in Isaiah chapter 9, you have to let the, the weight of those names hit us again. I read a commentary this week by a man by the name of Rogers. He said, when, the last, when was the last time the name of Jesus caused you to marvel? Do you stand in awe of the name of Jesus Christ? Or have you become cool, apathetic, ho-hum, oblivious? Do, not, do you not get excited when you think of the name of Jesus? If not, you've lost the wonder. You have calluses on your soul. I didn't say that. He said that. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. What does mighty God mean? Mighty God means all power. He doesn't just have some of it. He doesn't have power on at some times. He has all power at all times. Did you know that if you have all power at all times, you're never lacking power? So there's no sickness, no disease, there is no problem, there is no situation, there is no person that's too far gone or too far outside God's saving hand. He's the mighty God. Whenever you face an impossibility, if you understand that Jesus came as the mighty God, with God there's always possibility. Wherever Jesus is, there is a possibility for something supernatural to happen because he is mighty God. The mighty God describes who he is. Because he has all power, if he helps you, he's not lacking power. if If you had all the money in the world, if you spent some money and you had all the money in the world, you wouldn't be down any money because you have all the money. He has all power. So it's not like he has a little bit of power to heal you and a little bit of power to save you, and now I can't heal you and save you because I spent that. He has all power. If you don't understand the definition of mighty God, you will think that God's power just comes in spurts or comes to those who he really loves or he loves more than others, and you won't understand that he has enough power for all of us, for every nation, for every country, for every person, for every situation. He is mighty God. The third one is he is everlasting father. He is everlasting. You know what everlasting means? It lasts forever. I know, I got you on that one. You're like, pastor, trick question. No, it just it means it lasts for a long time. Everla- that means that there's nothing you can do or no sin you can commit. There is nothing that could remove you from the love of God. He's an everlasting father. The Bible says he sets the lonely in families, which means that when we say yes to Jesus, he brings us into the family of God. The church of Jesus Christ is the family of God. The Bible says he is the head and we are the body, that the church of Jesus Christ makes up who he is. So he brings us into his family. So if you're lonely... You need the everlasting Father. If you stumbled in sin or compromise and you've been separated from God, you need the everlasting Father. If you're going through a difficult time, you might need the everlasting Father. If you feel estranged from God or far from God, you might need the everlasting Father. He was from eternity Father of the great work of redemption. His heart was upon it. It was the product of his wisdom as the counselor of his love as the everlasting father. The everlasting father is the father of our redemption. Which means this. The Bible teaches that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means even if you've lived a really good life, you are already born into sin. 
There is nobody that is, that, that, that is innocent and nobody that is without sin. So we all need this everlasting father. So he fathers, Jesus fathers the work of redemption, which is the ability for me and you to come into loving relationship with Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. It says, the last one is this, that he is the prince of peace. Man, I love this. The prince of peace. That doesn't mean he has peace. Or some days he's peaceful. As the prince of peace, he is peace. So when I have Jesus, I have peace. That not only do I have peace because I've been restored to relationship with God, that even the things that have pushed me outside of the presence of God that have separated, I have peace with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the greatest peace I can have. But in addition to that, he also gives me peace in my day-to-day life. That as I walk through the craziness of our world and the craziness of the ups and the downs of life and jobs and families and careers, all of the pressure, I can have peace. You know what I've found to be true is that when I'm lacking peace, it's not because God's running short. It's because I'm usually outside of his presence. Because when I get into his presence, I receive his peace. If you're not at peace today, I would propose this to you, that you got to get closer to him. Because if you get closer to him, his peace, he doesn't just give out peace like a vending machine. He is peace. So when I come into his presence, I receive peace. So I don't have to have everything in my life going perfect in order to have peace. I just need to have him. And if I have him, I can have, this is what is the testimony to the world, is when you as a believer are able in the midst of chaos and craziness to say, I'm at, I'm at peace. How would you be at peace? Because peace is not everything going right because no one would have peace. Peace is in the presence of God. That I understand that he is also the prince of peace, which is a royal term. Which means he has authority over anything that would try to take or rob you of your peace. That's good news for me because sometimes I'm not at peace. And God has the authority over whatever would try to get in the way or steal or rob me from that peace. So let me just say it this way. Jesus came to do a couple things. Jesus came, one, to reveal God to us. This is just simple theology, but each of us, because of our sin, were separated from God. So when Jesus came, his job was to restore relationship. You, you, ever, you ever had the, the opposite side of magnets? Magnets? How you say <laughs> Magnets? Wow. Try to push them together, right? They oppose each other. This is God's holiness and our depravity. It's, it's not that God doesn't want us in his presence, but literally sin cannot come into his holiness. So when Jesus came, his job was to not just be the Christmas story. His job was to restore relationship with God and mankind. So now through the blood of Jesus, God is drawn to us. We are drawn to him and we're not repelled from him. This is why we need a savior. Because each of us have sinned and have been separated from God. But because of Jesus' sacrifice... We can, count, can now come into his presence. Hebrews says this, we can come before his throne with boldness, with confidence. We can come into his presence. He came to reveal God to us. He came to redeem us from our sins. 
If you read your Bible in the Old Testament, every sin has consequences. And the consequence of sin was always death. That there would be, have to be some type of sacrifice or some type of penalty. Your Bible says when Jesus died, he paid that price once for all. So that he would, on that cross, he took my sin... He took your sin, he took your mistakes, your failures, the ones you did yesterday, the ones you did years ago, the ones you still will do, and the Bible says he took those up on himself. You know, most theologians believe that Jesus didn't die from being crucified, he died from a broken heart. Theologians believe that as the sin of the world was placed on his shoulders, that literally the weight of the guilt and the shame and the darkness that was on him literally broke his heart. That's why when the soldier came to him, they would, they would typically break the leg of the person being crucified so that they would collapse and be asphyxiated and eventually die. When they came to Jesus, they said he was already dead. So the Bible says that they, the, sol- the soldier, to make sure, right, stuck a spear into his side. Did you know it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that when Jesus would die, there would not be a bone that was broken? If that soldier would have broken that bone, it would have been a break in the messianic prophecy. And Jesus could not have been the Messiah or the Savior. But just because the weight of the sin broke his heart for me and for you, and he died that way, the Bible says that the devil didn't take his life. He gave it as a ransom for many that you and I could have life and that life to the full. See, for some of these things, you, you, when, when I'm even preaching about them, you can hear the threads of them. I think, I think I know that. I think I've heard that. But the simplicity of the gospel can't take away from the gravity of the gospel. The simpleness of the message can't take away from the power of the message. He came to reveal, to redeem. And I love this one. He came to restore. Luke chapter 4 is an interesting passage of Scripture Because Jesus now has come, and he again quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says this, and this is, that Jesus didn't come just to do one thing. He came to make sure that our life here would be different. He came to set us free. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Luke 4, verse 16, it says, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. I just like to make note of that. Jesus went to church consistently. It was his custom. Stop missing church, all right? It's not you. It's all all the people online, all right? Come on. Just joking. Love you. See you next Sunday. As was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor so Jesus came as a as a fulfillment of prophecy but he came also on mission to make sure that as we walk through this life that you don't have to walk bound. And I was praying this week, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. He says, he just told me, I want to set people free. I'm thinking, man, we're not in a freedom series right now. We're in a Christmas series. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, because Christmas all is all about freedom. 
It, it is about what Jesus did to set us free, to break us free from everything that the enemy has tried to come at us with. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a great author that I love to read. He says, while waiting in a Nazi prison cell in 1943, a few weeks before Advent, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a friend, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. Or let me say it this way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was saying that what Jesus did is he unlocked your prison door from the outside. He's, you could say it this way. The prison door that you find yourself in today has been opened. If you found yourself bound in anger, in the past, in temptation, in compromise, in shame, in condemnation, in lust, in perversion, in addiction, whatever it is that you find yourself in today, when Jesus came and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim good news or freedom to the captives, what he was doing was opening the prison door. So friends, I've got great news for you. As Christmas approaches, the prison door is open. What has been holding you has been broken. The door of freedom has been made available to you and to me so that we can walk in this newness of life. That's the story of Christmas. That's the power of what Jesus, does, Jesus has done. I read this this week about a preacher. He says, I heard of another preacher who was on a train and he noticed a man looking out the window. And it says, as they went past the landscape, and it was a beautiful landscape, but that man kept saying, wonderful, wonderful. He'd pause and look for a while, wipe the tears from his eyes, and he would say, wonderful. The preacher's curiosity was aroused, and he went over and sat by this man. And he said, I've never seen someone enjoy a train ride quite so much. Can you tell me why it's so wonderful? He said, sir, you don't understand. He said, I've just had surgery. He said, I've been without sight for years and years and years. And now I'm seeing things that I'd long since forgotten. I'd forgotten how blue the sky was how green the grass was, how beautiful the trees, how bright the flowers. He said, it's wonderful. It's just simply wonderful. And I pray God today that he'll just open our blinded eyes that we might see how wonderful, how wonderful the Lord Jesus is. His name is wonderful. When we sing these songs and we lift up this name, it's not because we just had a cute nativity scene. It's because God rolled up his sleeves and said, it just got personal. And he sent Jesus straight into your world and straight into your family and straight into your life to unlock every prison cell that if you so desired, you could walk out of whatever has held you and into the freedom that only he can give. The world is searching for this life and the world is searching for this peace and they will be sorely disappointed unless they come to the source of all life, the prince of all peace. And his name is Jesus. It's Jesus. I prayed this week that as we spend time together today, that Really, the, the beauty of his name, what he's done, what he's accomplished would settle into our hearts 
that this Christmas, it wouldn't just be another Christmas or another busy season, but that literally we would sense his closeness and his presence. And maybe some of you just walked in today and you felt far from God or you've felt the prison cells of past habits or rhythms start to close in on you or maybe some battles that you're fighting that nobody knows you're fighting, battles in your mind or in your heart. And I just want you to know that Jesus loves you so much that when he came, he accomplished what he needed to accomplish to unlock that prison door from the outside. And today, this is, this is wild. This is how easy it is. To walk out, all you have to do is walk out. Jesus, today I step into your freedom. There's two types of freedom. One is freedom from our sins that keeps us separate from God. And that's just saying yes to Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's out. I'm coming out of that prison of separation from God. The second level of freedom is as you walk as a believer, maybe you've already said yes to Jesus, but you've never experienced freedom. The Bible says this, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So how do I experience this freedom? I take all of this stuff and I give it to him. Could it be that easy? Most people that think it's too easy to do it have never tried it. You know what? As simple as it is, I forget it. I try to find peace in my own way. I try to get happy in my own way. I try to, I try to get everything organized the right way so that I can be at peace. And, and peace isn't found in everything being right. Peace is found with me taking my stuff into the presence of God and laying it there. And for every person that's in this room and every person that's watching online, there is freedom that's available for you today. And it's found in that matchless, amazing, wonderful name, Jesus.